Are you at a loss for how to handle those seemingly small, awkward moments at work? Whether it's being interrupted, talked over, hearing women referred to as girls, or getting a men's polo shirt as a company gift. It can be hard to know how to appropriately handle these behaviors and situations, and easy to convince yourself it's not a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because these behaviors create a culture that make women feel like they're not appreciated or respected as colleagues or team members or even seen. Hence my conversation with Don Hudson. Don Hudson is a senior executive and a keynote speaker. She's a founding member of the Band of Sisters, who are six executive level women who offer unparalleled insight into inclusive leadership and work culture. After spending 11 years at PepsiCo as chief marketing officer and then president and CEO of PepsiCola North America, Don served as vice chairman of Parthenon, now part of Ernst & Young. Later, she was the CMO of the NFL responsible for the development of the fan base, the brand, and overseeing all NFL-produced events, including the Super Bowl. She has significant governance experience, having served on boards of directors of Lowe's Home Improvement Stores, Allergan Pharmaceutical, P.F. Chang's, and Amplify, which was sold to Hershey's. She served as chairperson of the Ladies Professional Golf Association, or the LPGA, and the Association of National Advertisers. She currently serves on the boards of NVIDIA, Interpublic Companies, and Rodan and Fields. All this to say, she has a lot of experience in a lot of different environments. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation Dawn and I had. And specifically, we chatted about why she and the Band of Sisters decide to focus on gender-rooted microaggressions in the workplace, the variety of suggestions for the same scenario provided by the different authors, and how that impacted their relationships and their approach to the book. We discussed what's at stake for companies if they don't address microaggressions in the workplace, and I also asked Dawn for what advice she would give to anyone looking to advance their career. Given her track record, I was very curious to hear what she would have to say. If you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jody Flynn. I'm the CEO and founder of Women Taking the Lead, a leadership development company that works with organizations and boards to close the performance gap by attracting, developing, and successfully promoting more women into senior levels of leadership. I help organizations realize these benefits through coaching, consulting, leadership development programs, and keynotes. If we are not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search on the platform for Jody Flynn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. Be sure to add a note to the invitation, letting me know you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Okay, let's have a chat with Dawn. Welcome to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, Dawn. Thank you. It's great to be here. 
I'm very excited to be chatting with you. And as I shared with everyone in the intro, you and a group of um, your you know, women friends, colleagues, um, the layers of relationships among the, 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 the band of sisters, as you call yourselves, decided to write a book together. I would love to hear the background story of where did this idea come from and how did you move forward with it? So, so you're right. The Band of Sisters were a group of um, six of us that worked together at PepsiCo at, at really a terrific time in, uh, in PepsiCo's history, a lot of growth. And we grew personally, professionally, and we really liked each other. So as we all left and went on to think, do different things in our careers, we stayed in touch. And we were lucky that uh, sometimes people would organize dinners or whatever and get us back in touch together. And Indra Nui, the former CEO of PepsiCo, was having a dinner in Greenwich, Connecticut and invited us and and we were laughing and having a glass of wine and kind of telling stories and recounting those crazy things that had happened to us. And and one of us, it might have been me, you know, said, boy, thank goodness there's so many more women in the workforce today and these things aren't happening to them, prompting someone else to say, you know, I'm not sure about that. You know, I just read a study from McKinsey and someone popped in and read something from Catalyst and said, you know, I think a lot of the situations of bias are still happening. And so we said, you know, we got to look into that because we all view ourselves to be really lucky and have had great successful careers and we want to help other women on the way up. And so we were just naturally curious with what are, what are their experiences? So we followed up, we got on at the time phone calls and then it became zoom, uh, you know, and, and just sort of talk. And, and one of the sisters had an invitation to go speak at an ad week conference in the summertime of 2019. And she had said that we were bantering about writing an article or talking about this. We were doing some um, investigation and they said, Oh, that sounds great for our audience. Would you guys come and talk about what you're working on and what you've experienced? And so she brought it up to us and we said, absolutely. But as we talked and got ready for that talk, it helped us hone in on the fact that we wanted to focus on the small things that no one of which is like, you know, career breaking, but each one, when they add up, make you feel uncomfortable in an environment. And I think, uh, you know, we're very passionate about the fact that not, not only is culture a good thing to do, but it's a, it's a business necessity for growth. I mean, you have to attract talent, then you have to hold on to that talent. So we wanted to try to see if we could, help young women and help, you know, cultures today in corporate America. So we said, all right, we'll speak on it. We started to put sort of some cases together of what we'd experienced. And oh, we had, you know, 10 or 11 or 12. And so we did this talk and we shared some funny pictures that we had rendered of the situations we found ourselves in. And we shared it with the audience. And the beauty of six of us was that, each one, everybody's individual. So how I might handle a circumstance is different how Mitzi might handle it or C might handle it. And so by having a few of us say, I've been there, here's how I handled it. Or somebody else saying, here's how I would handle it. And, and by the way, in this conversation, I thought, oh, I could have handled that even better. I like that idea. Yeah, yeah. So we were able to add layers and we did the talk. Well, 
it was just a little thing we did in the summertime, you know, at, at the ad week event, you know, it's like a week long event and people in the industry can show up at these. It, it got phenomenal feedback. And, and we knew we were onto something because we couldn't get off the stage and women and men were coming up to us uh, to talk about it. So we said, you know, we really should keep going and let's, let's, uh, let's talk to some young women, understand what, what they're experiencing. And then COVID hit. And, I guess maybe the subtitle of the book should be let's not waste a global pandemic because <laughs> we're all at home. We're stuck. We now have zoom accounts. And so we did is said, let's get our content ready thinking that we were going to be doing more speaking and engaging companies and talking about culture. And then as COVID progressed and we continued to develop our situations and our storyline and we created a central Google doc and we all entered our ideas inside we got, I don't know, we had 350 pages of content and COVID wasn't over. You know, we thought, well, it'll be a couple of weeks and a couple of months. Mm -hmm. So then we thought, well, maybe we should take this content and, and write a book. So that's what we did during COVID. But it didn't start out with, let's write a book. It started out with, boy, this should not still be happening. Mm -hmm. We, everyone's talking about Me Too, which are really awful, awful things. But these are the little things that actually can affect culture in a very meaningful way. And we also felt could be addressed, not just by educating senior management, but could be addressed by making everyone aware and making the other younger people in the room, men or women, aware of the circumstance so they could help and, and redirect things. Because I think my experience in corporate America is sometimes culture and vision is set very well at the top. And then by the time it makes it through the mushy middle of the organization, it doesn't necessarily get channeled when people come in and enter organizations. So anyway, right. that's a long answer to your question <laughs> about how we ended up writing a book. I have lots of thoughts and follow up, Don. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. But I agree. If we want change, oftentimes it has to be like top down and bottom up all at the same time, because if it only comes from one direction, it takes a real long time for it's everything to work itself through. So a couple of thoughts um, on what you said. Um, not surprised by the reaction you got during ad week when you were presenting, even though they were like, you know, th these are just funny stories and little things that had happened to us. So let's share about it and talk about it. But I think, you know, when something isn't talked about enough and we're all keeping quiet about it, it really hits a nerve when somebody speaks openly and confidently and in a funny way about it, right? And using humor invites everyone in like, this is safe. We can talk about this. We're going to be light. We're not, you know, we're not coming with the hammer. We're coming with some lightness, but this is something that happens and let's talk about it. I mean, in hit a nerve, you, you definitely did. I you have know, the, the, the humor part was very choiceful on our part because we were coming off the end of a, a, a Me Too craze. And, and the men that I work with and talk to were almost fearful to open their mouth lest they say something wrong, do something wrong. Very respectful of women, but to, didn't know what to do. So we wanted to invite them in and educate them and laugh and let them laugh with us because we thought that would be more successful. 
in getting everybody at the table to talk and influence these little things that happen every day, but right. that are highly addressable. Yes. And and I find most of the trans transgressors are are not aware of what they're doing or the impact of what they're doing. They're just, I, I say with most people, we're just living our lives, doing our thing. And then we find out we've hurt somebody or slighted someone. And so it is, it's nice and, and easier to do something with it when somebody comes with compassion, maybe a little bit of humor. And it's, and that's the approach that throughout this book was definitely felt like this is funny and we feel for everyone involved. And if this is you, the other thing I really liked about the book, I'll just say it, you know, it's going to bring it up later, but just say it now is it, it offered solutions from different perspectives, whether you were a man or you were a woman, whether you were the recipient of certain behavior, whether you had been the person who had behaved in such a way, whether you were an observer, the manager, you know, it, it had something for all perspectives of here's what you can do if you, if this happens. And that's very empowering because it invites everyone in. It's not just, Hey, women, this is something happening to you. And now it's your responsibility to do something about it. It's like, no, we're all, we are all responsible to do something about this if we see it and experience it. I mean, that, that was something that actually sort of irritated us was the thought that, you know, in a way it's like, okay, it's a women's issue. You guys go fix it. No, it's an everyone issue and it will take everyone. Don't just because women are feeling uncomfortable and uh, in in a situation doesn't mean that they have to fix it. They at rest have to fix it. And, and maybe one of the most gratifying things for me personally on the book is I gave it when it first came out to a few uh, male colleagues that I worked with, my attorney, financial advisor. And a, a number of them said, I read it cover to cover, which surprised me. But they said, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. And one of them said, I'm never going to call you a girl. I promise I'm not <laughs> going to call you a girl. So they were, they were trying to learn no matter yes. what their age was. And I think, again, it's, I don't think these slights are intentional. Mm-hmm. They're not people trying to be mean, mean spirited, hurt people. They're just unaware and not thinking about the effect on someone else of that action. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the focus of the book, as you pointed out, is, is in the area of the microaggression. And, you know, and I, I've read another book, um, called The Authority Gap. That book pointed out like some, the author interviewed celebrity women, big names in politics and sports and, and this. And, you know, I think of, um, Janet Yellen being one of the um, interviewees. And she talked about like early in her career, very blatant, very obvious sexism. But at the time she was like, you could almost sense this in her, you know, describing the situation, like almost like a shrug on her part. Like that's the way things were. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have even thought about it at all. And I think you alluded to that earlier where sometimes these little things happen and we second guess, like, is that a big deal? Should I be upset about that? You know, did that really happen? You know, I think with, um, you know, the overt sexism has now turned into something more subtle and harder to identify. 
what I like about addressing the microaggressions is we can name it, right? Each chapter dealt with a separate microaggression and it had a name and it had a description and it had stories around this is what it looks like. And then also as we um, spoke about solutions and how to deal with it based on who you are in this scenario, I have to imagine like you've gotten feedback that it, it's so empowering and that some women had have said, I didn't realize like this was something that could be addressed until I read this book and had a name for what was going on. That that's exactly what we hope happened, which is it just, it, it identifies it as something real and something that people can do something about whether you're an observer I mean, don't just sit there, help, help the person out. I mean, it's, it's quite easy to, to, once you know about one of these situations, which are pretty small, they're pretty easy to correct. Right. You know, you're in a meeting, you know, someone, often a woman has an idea, says it, conversation happened, someone else says the same idea and the idea that she said, and that person get, oh, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody can say, you know, Dawn and Gary are talking about the same thing. I think they're both great. Let, let, let me build on that. I mean, it's so easy to just acknowledge someone. And that in that acknowledgement, in that situation, it goes so far. And what I one of the things that I, I've learned, people think about culture today, particularly for the millennial generation, even more so for Gen Z. They want to be part of something that A, makes a difference but be where they feel like they can be themselves. Mm-hmm. And I was a sponsor for women of color at PepsiCo. And I realized how many of the women of color would tell me after we got comfortable in talking, they didn't feel like they could be their whole self at work, that they had, if they were strong and or loud, they had to mask it. They had to be somebody different than they were in their mind to succeed. And, and that's a recipe for not feeling good and staying with that company. Because if you don't feel like you can be yourself and show right. up as yourself, one, you're probably not going to stay there a long time. But two, you're not going to do your best work. No. no. Right. So, yeah. um, so hopefully by giving names to these things and letting people talk about them, it's actually a little small things that everybody can jump in and do something about. And then in the end, makes you go home at the end of the day saying, ah, I think how I handled that. That, yeah. that, you know, that, didn't, that went well. Yeah, 100%. Beautifully simple solutions, which in in my mind, the more simple a solution, the more genius a solution because we can apply it. But this brings me to my next question because I noticed reading the book, um, based on personality, there were some different suggestions for how to handle various situations. And some of them were vastly different from yes. another. Um, how did you all handle that? Because there might've been, I'm imagining that there were certain chapters that you were writing, you know, out the problem and the solutions, and there may have been some disagreements about, you know, which solutions should be featured. Um, how did that go? Actually, I would, I would say there were less disagreements right away. There was respect that you have to do things in a way that feels right and makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're a little bit more of a comedian, handle it with a, you know, if you're a very rational, thoughtful person, give them analysis and give them some numbers, but do it in a way that's right for you. And what I found interesting, 
in talking to particularly younger women, we want to make sure, and I'll talk in a minute about where where we saw the issue the greatest, but is that how Dawn might handle one situation relates to, let's say, Mary. And then another situation, Mary feels more comfortable handling it the way C recommended. It's it's not, it, it wasn't, oh, then I, I identify with Lori. I'm going to handle everything the way Lori does. It wasn't. It was more little tips and personal things you could put in your hip pocket and think about. Uh, but what I, what I wanted to say, fill you in on also, is that when we did, we interviewed um, in depth many, many women and what we found, young women, what we found was, and the, the quantitative research backs this up that we looked at, is that when women first enter the workforce, whether they're coming out of college, even high school, they're coming out of graduate school, there's a belief that I'm new and I'm the new kid on the block. And you kind of put aside these things that happen to you as just it's because I'm the new person. But after you get to be late 20s, early 30s, you kind of start to it dawn on you that these small situations, pretty easy for you to identify a Me Too moment. Not so easy to identify some of these. And so we felt we really needed to target the book at people who had been in corporate America for five or more years, who realized that this is not right, that this is biased, that it is uncomfortable, and it's not about the fact that they're young. It's it's about their their gender or their diversity or what makes them different. It's about not fitting in, mm-hmm. even though no one fits in, right? We're, we're a melting pot culture country. Mm-hmm. We have so much diversity. There's no one size fits all anymore. You know, many years ago, you could be, you know, from a white fraternity and probably do, do well in many, many corporate cultures, but that that's not true today. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, it, but it really was trying to, Write something to help the women who are who are waking up to say this is not comfortable for me. This is not right. Yes, yes. For so for those of you who don't appreciate cookie cutter approaches to things, this book is not that. It is very much you have a plethora of options and suggestions, and I a hundred percent agree with you, Don, because the solution has to align well with your own personality and how you approach things. And that's why most advice is not taken because the advice comes from a place of here's how I would approach this. And when it's a one-on-one situation, well, the person you're giving that advice to may be like, I would never do that. Or that's, that's not my strength. Like you said, if you're not a numbers person, that's not going to be your approach. If you don't naturally use humor in your day to day, if you try to use humor in an, in a, situation such as this, it would fall flat. So um, I really appreciated that the the book had a variety of like, here's here's how Don handled it. Here's how C handled it. Here's how Angelique handled it. So that, you know, the the reader has some options for this. Okay. I think I think also what that helps is it doesn't just give options for the person who's feeling uncomfortable. But in giving the options, I think it further educates the bystander who could be watching or they can actually with very small things. They could do one of the things that Katie suggests or whatever as a bystander and neutralize it 
for Barry, if you want, mm -hmm. right? They, they don't have to, she doesn't have to do all the hard work herself. If some others can kind of see what's going on and, and, and neutralize the situation. Right. Like if, if the more educated everyone involved is the less likely, like any one person has to carry the load of, you know, finding the solution or even as you, you stated earlier, just navigating a situation so that, you know, at the end, everyone feels good about what happened. So we've been talking about individuals, but let's take it to the company level um, as well. What do you see is um, at stake for companies in terms of addressing some of these gender issues? And, and I and I think these gender issues are not just gender, but they also fall into various forms of diversity, be they sexual orientation, be they your race you come from, it's just different mm -hmm. and, and therefore not feeling, feeling included. But I think as a, as a, as a leader of, of companies before, uh, first it's about the talent, right? It's about if I don't have, again, younger people are very quick not to, I don't think we have a culture of resignation. We have a culture of, I will choose where and how I want to work and, mm -hmm. and zoom and post the pandemic. I hope it's post the pandemic, have allowed people more choice, right? We still have a good employment market and people have choice. So, you know, if you're a leader, you want to attract the best talent. You want to keep the best talent. So you've got to attract them because you're known as a good place to work. You don't want to make people put into uncomfortable situations. So you've, you've spent all that money finding them and developing them. And then they leave. And further, maybe to me the most important thing is that why you want diversity in our organization is you want diversity of experience, diversity of thought. It, it's been proven so many times in so many business school journals that, you know, if you put a group of people that are all the same, the same background, the same training, and you give them a problem, they will come up with a solution slower and maybe less creatively then you put a group of people with different backgrounds that look different, that talk differently, give them the same problem. That group will find a more creative solution, a more impactful solution faster. So as a leader, not only do I want a good culture because I want to keep the people, the good people that I have, but I want to enable them to really thrive and perform. And it's often, you know, in dynamics, whether, whether it's a meeting on Zoom or it's a meeting in person. Often it's like one thought somebody throws in causes somebody to say, that's a great idea. We could go do this. Well, if you have a culture that allows people to step up and throw things and not feel that they'll be judged if they throw a wacky idea out, then, then you're just going to get better performance. So in the end, I, I really think it's about enabling your employees to perform better. And, and by the way, employees that are part of winning feel better and want to stay too. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's a ripple effect. It's a, it too. builds on itself. A hundred percent. So Don, um, you know, really want to take advantage of having you here because you have had, um, an incredible career, um, doing many different things. Um, uh, and the women listening to this podcast, they are leaders. They are ambitious. They want to advance in their careers. And, and a lot, you know, they're looking, they're listening to the Women Taking the Lead podcast to, you know, 
get those ideas for how to develop themselves um, so that they can advance well in their career, like feeling confident and comfortable, you know, to some extent, there's always like, you got to have those stretch moments in order to grow, but they're, they, they listen to this podcast to kind of like move the learning curve along a little bit faster. So do you have any um, particular advice for the women who listen to the women taking the lead podcast? I have a lot of advice, Jody, but I I think what I'd rather do is to tell a little story because I think it's a way that I can um, uh, better demonstrate my my biggest advice. But when I was given the remarkable opportunity to run Pepsi of North America, it's a $5 billion division of PepsiCo, and I was not their first woman leader. I was their second, Um, but it was a majority male, male culture. Um, when I started, I had a direct report staff of 11, two were women and nine were men. And then in the way PepsiCo does things really well is as people get ready for taking on a new challenge, they go and try to move them to another division, promote them into corporate, move people around. So I like to give my people that opportunity. So over the course of the first year, I went from having nine men reporting to me and two women to having six men and five women. And so when I went through that first round of performance reviews, everybody was great, by the way. And, you know, the talent at PepsiCo is is tremendous. Um, But there was a tendency that the men would come into the office focused on their achievements for the year, focused on what they wanted to do next, focused on, you know, how much more should they get paid and, you know, would would really be quite verbal in the conversation. And again, I don't want to stereotype, but more often the women would come into my office and would focus on where they can get better. And, you know, maybe what didn't go so well, very transparent, which is great to acknowledge when something didn't go well and how you learn from it. Phenomenal. But they were more building, trying to get better. And so my advice is it's always good to try to get better. But what people win on their strengths, on leveraging what makes them them and what makes them strong and making sure that you speak up for your strengths and that you look at yourself as a glass half full, a glass of possibility, and make sure that you ask for those opportunities and, and not obviously in a, in a mean or a demanding way, but I think just verbalizing, this is my ambition. This is what I really achieved last year and I was so proud of. And maybe what you may not have realized, but was so hard for me. And that's why I think I would be able to do a job like this, that that would really play to what I was able to demonstrate just being more of your own self. I, I don't want to say self promoter. That sounds like I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. No, but being somebody who acknowledges more of your positives than your negatives and make sure you share them and that you ask for what, what can you do and contribute more? And what do you need to feel happy about the progress of your career? Yes, I love that advice, Don. And I know where that mentality comes from. It's oftentimes, 
you know, I find women want to talk about their flaws or where they fell down because they think I'll preempt any critical feedback by naming it first, you know, so then I can, can, you know, kind of like steer the conversation. And sometimes also I think women think I'll come off as self-aware if I name my flaws before somebody else does. It just shows that I'm, I'm, I'm aware and I can work on it. However, what you and I both know is sometimes being the listener in that conversation, the woman sounds like she, she's self-depreciating, like, and not in a good way. Right. So now as a listener, you feel like, oh my gosh, do I have to like build her back up? Is she okay? You know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, for those of you who are listening who, who use this strategy, like if I name it before somebody else does, then I won't get hurt. Just think about how it comes off when you do that, when you don't lead with like, these were my achievements. These were my strengths, you know, or even, you know, if you want to weave them in, I've grown from different experiences I had this year. And here's what, here's why I'm stronger and what I'm going to take into the future. It's all like the perspective, you know, that, that influences how you show up for other people. Uh, yeah, I've, I've sometimes thought it, name it and fix it, you know, <laughs> acknowledge, acknowledge, let's face it. My biggest personal career developments were when things were the toughest. And I tell people, when you are faced with some of the hardest situations, just know a year from now, you're going to look back and say, I became such a better leader and I learned so much from it. So you can acknowledge where something didn't go right. But at the same time you acknowledge it, tell them what you learned and what you've done. So you don't leave it on self-doubting. You leave it on, wow, I got really stronger through this process. And I think, you know, managers and leaders want to know they don't expect everybody to bat a thousand. They expect people to take, you know, the right appropriate risks and more often than not be right, but not a hundred percent of the time. So acknowledge where something didn't go well and we learned and moved on. I think that demonstrates your ability to take on more Mm -hmm. just to be able to verbalize it as opposed to either not talk about it or be very, uh, sorry and down about that awful thing that happened. Awful things happen all the time. It's the people that fix awful that get ahead. A hundred percent. Or learn from awful. (laughs) Yes. I love that. So Don, what's next for you and the band of sisters? Well, we, you know, this is our way of giving back. I have two daughters and, um, you know, inadvertently, when you're a woman in business, people ask you to advise other women. And I, and I want to help the next generation and the generation after that. So just writing a book, I mean, hopefully a lot of people read our book, but we won't affect corporate America that way. So we're combining it with also getting out and um, we, we go to com- companies and we talk about the book and we invite people in. Uh, we could do some consulting, but mostly we're, we're going and sort of personally doing pieces of our book to activate the conversation, to try to spread the word. You know, could there be another book in the offing? I don't know. We always laugh about it and we say, oh, that could be a book. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't certainly be surprised, but right now we're in the, in the sharing it and um, you know, people can go to our, you know, bandofsisters.com, whatever companies and, and hire us to come in and, and talk and help and mentor. 
Well, that's a great segue. What is the best place for everyone to find you and connect with you? On themanofsisters.com. Awesome. And you can also find us all individually on LinkedIn, you know, social media, but. Easily accessible. Very accessible. Excellent. Any final thoughts that you would like to leave the audience with? A thank you to those who have read the book and a thank you particularly to the people in the room that are witnesses to what's happened because those people really can make such an impact on, on life for their, for their comrades. Mm. And so I thank them and encourage them to keep helping. Amen. Love that, Don. Well, Don, thank you for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thanks, Jody. What were your takeaways from my conversation with Don? I would love to hear your thoughts. Have you been subjected to or witnessed microaggressions at work? Do you have an approach for handling these behaviors and situations that helps everyone learn and grow from them? Head over to LinkedIn to share your thoughts and takeaways on the post corresponding to this episode. I'd love to hear what stood out most for you. And if your last promotion has you experiencing and confronting challenges you haven't faced before, consider working with me. I would love to support you through this transition, help you get your bearings and feeling confident in your leadership once again. You can find a link to schedule a time to chat with me in the episode description. If you're listening through a mobile device, that link will be in your podcast app. If you're listening through the Women Taking the Lead website, the link will be toward the bottom of the episode webpage. And if you're going to ask your company to sponsor you to work with a coach, there's also a link to access a checklist that will help you prepare for the conversation. As always, I hope this was of value to you and here's to your success.